right. <laughs> we are in this new series, and it's actually a follow-up. We, we went through the first six chapters of Nehemiah last summer, and so this kind of follows up on it. It also follows up on the message that Josh Edwards preached last Sunday about work, because uh, God's desire for us, whether you're an employer or an employee at work, is that you would work for more than a paycheck, that uh, besides all that getting paid and, and, and your work ethic, your integrity would have an impact and give you a platform to reach people and influence people for Jesus Christ because that's really, as Ethan wrote, that's really our mission is to make more disciples of Jesus, to make better disciples of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that in this series about how Nehemiah's work gave him a platform to do far greater things than that. So Nehemiah is known for rebuilding a wall around Jerusalem. That wall was 22 feet wide, so about as wide as this stage. It was 25 feet high, so about as high as the peak of the ceiling here. And it was four and a half miles long, and he rebuilt it in 52 days. Okay, it involved thousands of people from eight neighboring towns as well as Jerusalem itself. They had 11 gates and even more towers all around this thing, around the city of Jerusalem. And they rebuilt it from the rubble in 52 days. It's what he's most known for. But what a lot of people don't realize is that that wouldn't even make the top three most important things that Nehemiah accomplished in his life. He almost completely eliminated slavery in his nation. He was, in some ways, the second Moses of Israel. And on, on top of that, he wrote a book of the Bible, which has been encouraging and helping people for thousands of years. And then he was a part with Ezra and others of a revival, a spiritual awakening in Israel that, that was unprecedented. And, and that's what I want to focus on today is, is the things Nehemiah did that were more important than his paycheck, more important than his work, and, and what we can do to accomplish that as well. Um, Three out of four Americans believe that America is headed in the wrong direction morally. This was true in surveys in 2014 and 2019 and in surveys even this year. Three out of four Americans, America is headed in the wrong direction morally. The majority of Republicans believe this. The majority of the Democrats believe this. And this is a problem that cannot be solved, will not be solved by politics, doesn't matter who you elect or who you put in office, that is not going to change the moral decline in America. It's not an educational problem. There are seven times more college graduates today than in the 1940s in America. Seven times more. And besides that, you can just look anything up on Google. The moral problem in America isn't that people don't know what's right, it's that people don't care what's right. And also that people have been deceived into what's right or what's wrong. And so it's, it's not going to be solved by finances either. We are in the, the wealthiest nation on earth at the wealthiest time in human history. And so, so how does this moral problem, and, and, it, and it means change. And so that's what Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10, we're going to look at how he and some others with him changed the course of a nation, began a spiritual awakening, started a movement of God that I, I, I have prayed for and I desire to see God start a movement like that here in Montrose, here in the United States of America and around the world. Did, did you know last Sunday, and it's been growing, so I don't know how many this Sunday, but last Sunday there were 13 different uh, devices, people streaming this service from Nigeria. 
It's a really strange, where individual in Nigeria had some contact with, with one of our Bridgewater members, encouraged them to watch online, and now there's dozens of her friends, so shout out to Destiny, but dozens of her friends that are watching online. And you know what? Nigeria needs the same thing America needs. Nigeria, I've, I've, I've read in the news, you know, different things that are going on and it headed in the wrong direction and America in a different way, but also headed in the wrong direction. And we need change. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that do change. Nine, years, nine days ago, the, the Supreme Court came out with their overturning of Roe versus Wade, and that was definitely a change. But here, here's what we need to recognize about that. The media sells two things. This is true of conservative media. This is true of liberal media, the right and the left. They sell two things, fear and anger. Because if you're afraid, you're more likely to watch more news, right? If you're angry, you're more likely to tune in. And and that, that is their business model. That is how they make angry, how they make money. The more they can make you angry, the more they can make you afraid, the more money they make. And so I'm here to tell you that our response to this cultural moment needs to be different. We need to respond in love. And if you're here today and you think, I talked to two OBGYN doctors this last week, and both of them assured me 100% absolutely sure, hey, if, if there is a woman whose life is threatened, they will be able to get a medical you know, get the medical treatment they need. Nothing, nothing all the fear-mongering you hear out there about women's health care, now being in the toilet and women being in danger physically and might being able to die or all that, it is, it is fear-mongering. You talk to real doctors with real jobs who've delivered hundreds if not thousands of babies, they're like, no, that's not true. It's fear. It's what they do. It's what they sell. And then the anger side of things, here's what what we know about God in this issue of abortion. God loves the people on the other side of this issue than you are. He does. And if you're following God, you need to love people on the other side of this issue than you. In fact, one of the organizations we support as a church is CareNet, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Some of the crisis pregnancy centers across our nation have been vandalized and burned. Thankfully, none of our local ones have. But these are people who work there and who volunteer there, and we support. We give thousands of dollars every year to them. We just finished a baby bottle campaign where many of you filled change to go and support. They love babies, and they love moms, and they love dads. And you don't have to choose who you love. In fact, if anything, they love moms and dads more than babies because that's who, they, that's who their ministry is too. And it's not just until the baby is born. It's after the baby is born and the years after and the support and care and concern. And I, I, I'm glad that we can be a part of an, of an organization like that. And we need to have that same mindset as well, the mindset of Jesus Christ and of God and love people who disagree with us and maybe who think that because they disagree, they think I'm a bad person. That's okay. You can think I'm a bad person. I need to love you anyway. And, and, and so the, how, do we, how do we have this perspective that God has? How do we help our, our nation and our community change to, to follow him more? Well, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah about this. And, and uh, this is a picture of the wall, uh, archaeo- archaeological um, 
Uh, they've uncovered the Nehemiah wall. Interesting, they say it was poorly built. No, no kidding, 52 days, it wasn't quality, all right? But, but they did it, and it's just amazing how huge that was. So Nehemiah chapter 7 um, starts with this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, so the wall was built, everybody went back home, and then this special uh, time of the year came, and all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate, one of those 11 gates that they rebuilt. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, now when you see the word law in the Bible, it doesn't mean law like we think, like these big legal you know, section of the library. And you, they're referring to the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and in particular here, they're going to read the law, and what they're reading is the book of Deuteronomy, which is a summary of all the laws in the previous books. So, so that's, that, that part of the Bible, those first five books of the Bible, used to be one book, and it was known as the law to ancient Jews. So, so they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So there were teenagers and some younger kids there as well. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. That's six hours. They stood the entire time. Next Sunday, we're not going to do that. So 6 a.m. to noon, um, they read, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And so here's, here's what we're, we're going to start with today. If we want to begin a movement of God in our nation, if we want to begin a spiritual awakening in this community, the first thing we need to do is it starts with each and every one of us. We need to read God's word. And we need to understand God's word. And we need to value God's word. Um, it, it says later, it says they, they read it for six hours, but if you were to read the book of Deuteronomy straight through, read it out loud, it would take about two hours and 15 minutes. And so what they did was they would read some and then they would stop and explain it. Because this is hard to understand, but even during, the, the Bible is a library and it was written over a 1,500 year period of time. And so this is 440 years before Jesus is born. This is about 900 some years after the book of the law was written by Moses. I don't know, have any of you ever read English works like Chaucer or things like that that are, that are like 900 years old? Any of you read them? It's like another language almost. I mean, it is hard to decipher, you know, and, and so that may have happened here as well where these individuals, we don't know how high literacy was. We know that uh, scrolls were very expensive and very rare because it had to be hand copied and they'd either write it on vellum, which was leather, which would be expensive to have a book made completely out of leather and written on, or paper and the papyrus and paper they had back then, very complicated, time-intensive process to make. And so, so books were rare and valuable. And so most of these people, they had no idea what the Bible said, what the book of Deuteronomy said. And so for the first time, they're hearing it read, and they're, gonna, they're having to stop. They read for a little bit and they stop and the, the, the priests and Levites, they go out and they explain, you know, this is what it means and, 
oh, okay, I wasn't familiar with that. But, but it starts with you. Are, are you reading God's words? We have a bunch of things to help with us. There are Bibles on the back round table before you leave, and just take one. They're free. Okay, if you want to, like, pretend you're stealing it, you can slip it up your shirt. But they're free. You can just take it, all right? Um, there's, there's these 30 days uh, reading plan at the Welcome Center. There's also a 365-day reading plan. There's, um, uh, now I forget what they're called, the devotional things. On track. On track devotional guys. You can pick up one of those as well. Um, we need to, because if seven days a week, you get media putting into your brain things. Many days a week, you got coworkers and maybe even friends who are not following God, and they're, they're talking to you, and they're telling you things. And, and all of this, if you don't have the Word of God counteracting that and telling you what's really true, you, you don't have a chance. And little by little, the lies that we swim in every day will drown you. And little by little, it will, it will point you in a different direction. We need, we need to start with the reading of God's word. Um, there are so many people in our world today that they live this way. And God's word says if you live this way, then there are these consequences that come and hurt you. But the world says if you live this way, no, 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 everything's wonderful. Your life will be great. Everybody, everybody lives this way. And, and, and so they have these terrible things that happen in their lives and they think they're unlucky because the world says this does not result in this. The Bible says that, but they don't know. We have a bunch of sayings like this. What you don't know can't hurt you, right? Ignorance is bliss. That's a lie from the pit of hell, totally not true. From 1917 to 1926, the Radium Corporation um, made all of these timepieces, watches and clocks and things like that, and, and uh, made out of this new material that a chemist designed called radium. And uh, these, these girls, they're called radium girls. There's a movie out recently that talks about this. And they would paint the dials and the numbers and the, the hash marks on these um, uh, clocks. Now, the chemists who worked with this stuff, they, they used lead screens, masks, and tongs to handle the radium because guess what it was? It was radioactive but they didn't tell the girls about the dangers of radium. In fact, they, they kept that completely from them and they told them that as you paint, what you do is you dip the brush in the radium, you paint, and then the brush gets kind of flayed, so you lick it to point it, and then you dip again and you paint, and that's what they did. And then they painted their teeth, they painted their nails, they, they were paid 20 times more than the minimum wage, seven times more than the average man at that time would make a day. So they loved their job. They thought it was wonderful. They thought they were so lucky to have the job until six years after they started painting and the first woman died and her jaw literally disintegrated and fell away from her face. 
because it was so full of holes made by the radioactive. In fact, the inventor of radium about the same time, six or seven years after the corporation was founded, the inventor died from radiation poisoning as well of radium. And thousands, thousands of these girls, these young women, were, were involved, hundreds of them died, terrible deaths. Why? Because what they didn't know killed them. And there are people today, so many people, all around us, and I think even some who come here, and, and you're just new to the Word of God, and you don't know what it says, and it, can, and it can kill you. Sin is not harmful because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's harmful. God didn't look out and say, boy, that looks like a lot of fun. I'm going to call it sin and say it's wrong, and then I'm going to punish whoever does it. Ha! No, that's not how God did it. God looked out and said, wow, that is incredibly painful and hurtful. That's sin. That's bad. I'm going to tell people to stay away from that. But so many people just don't know. We had uh, one of our interns was um, going to Mason Cratch. There was a... a funeral that they didn't care who did the funeral. So I said, well, why don't I do it with our intern? And they were fine with that. And so we met the family. And then another funeral came up, and I couldn't do it with Mason. And so Mason did the funeral all by himself, and he gave them the gospel. And um, then while I was on vacation, we got the call a couple weeks after the funeral that the wife of the man who passed away killed herself. And our intern had to go and identify the body. And, and literally, I mean, he gave the gospel, but so often when, when we share the gospel, the good news of how you can have a relationship with God and live forever with him in eternity, this is what people hear. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and Jesus is God, and be good. Be good. And Jesus came and died, and that does something, and you, you need to believe that and be good. And they don't understand that, no, the gospel is that Jesus did die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live differently and follow him. And you need to not just be good. You need to surrender and give your life to God. And people are literally dying because they don't know that, because they don't understand that. And, and, and they're not following Jesus. We have a message that is so important to share with others. And so the first thing is for us to know the word of God, and then you need to help others know God. And that's what they were doing here in Nehemiah 8, the Levites, and I won't read all their names because I really don't know how to pronounce them, but all these guys, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They're explaining Deuteronomy to them, and they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. And here's the thing. You don't have to understand all of God's word in order to explain what you do understand to somebody. We actually have had two of our interns go through an ordination. They're actually no longer interns, but they went through an ordination council which is really fun. Josh has been through it. Basically, get over a dozen men in a room, try to ask you the worst trick questions they can think of, 
to trip you up and corner you and make you look dumb, you know. And so they went through these and they did a great job, but I usually go to these ordination councils with a couple questions that I don't even know the answer to. I'm just like, I wonder if they can help me out, you know. And, and even Second Peter, the end of Second Peter, great verse, the Apostle Peter says, Paul, in his letters, writes some things that are hard to understand. That's Peter. Peter lived with Jesus for three years, was, you know, an apostle, wrote scripture, and he even says, man, some of those letters of Paul, 1 Corinthians, where he talks about baptism for the dead, what is that about? It's hard to understand, and, and evil and wicked men distort it to their own, you know, to their own corruption, you know, and, and so you don't have to understand it all to go to people and help them understand what you do understand and what you do know, and, and that, that, that is so important. Who are you taking? This is evangelism, but this is even more discipleship. Some of these people didn't, didn't, hadn't given their lives to Jesus yet, but many of them had. They just didn't know, and it's, they're discipling them. Who have you taken spiritual responsibility for? If you're a parent, you need to take spiritual responsibility for your children. It doesn't mean you control them. It doesn't mean that you, you force them or whatever, but you're just saying, you know what? Heads up. It is my job to try to help this person spiritually. Outside of that, many of you not parents, your kids are all grown, you've never been parents, you're not married. All of us, outside of children, we need to take spiritual responsibility for other people, just like they did. And, and who, who is that in your life? There's a man uh, on my phone, on text messages, I have pinned. It's this really cool thing, I learned about it just recently. You can pin texts. Some of you are like, he is so un, untechy. So I've pinned his texts to the top. And so every time I open my phone, I see his name and I pray for him and I text him every week because I have decided I'm going to take spiritual responsibility for this young man. That, that he will, I want to encourage him. I'm holding him accountable on some things. I want to encourage him to do the right thing. I want to, I want to guide him as best I can. And, and who are you doing that with? Because we, if we want to start, if we want to see change in America, if we want to see a movement of God in our community, it starts with me and then, and then with me helping someone else. Walk along and follow, follow God. Goes on, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, this is a team, team effort and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why would they do that? Because all their lives they've been living this way. And they were told by everyone that this is what everybody does and this is how everyone lives. And now they just found out that no, that's sin. And that's wrong. If, you, if the way you live, if the people who are not following God don't think you're weird, you're not following God. The way we live needs to be different. You, you forgave him for what, that? That's not even right. In fact, in the past, you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of like a, you know, 
live and let live, you know, oh, good for you, I believe something different. Today, it's not that way. If you follow God, you're a bad person. I think it was wrong of you to forgive like that. He didn't deserve your forgiveness. You know, or you didn't live together and, and sleep together before you got married. I think that was irresponsible of you to do it that way. Right? And, and so now, if you're, if you're actually obeying God and doing the right thing, you go to church every week? What is that, a cult? More than on Sunday? You do Bible studies at home called small groups? What is that all about? Like, that's, you're crazy. They realized we've been living wrong all our lives, and we didn't even know it. And they began to weep, and they repented. And the leaders are like, no, 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 I know you need to repent, you need to weep, right? But, but let's transition quickly. Like, this is a good day because now you know the truth and the truth will set you free and the truth will give you joy and the truth will give you a different way of living that's so much better. And, and we need to rejoice about this. And I'm telling you, living for God is so much more fun than living the way the world says you should live. In fact, this whole Financial Peace University some of the biblical principles, if you can take these biblical principles, it will be difficult at the beginning many times to just start living differently, but it is so much more fun to live financially in wisdom and in the way that Proverbs and God's Word tells us to live financially. Becky and I have had trouble in our marriage, okay, because we've been married over a quarter century. Anybody here married over a quarter century has not had trouble in your marriage, talk to me after. I would love to know the secret, <laughs> what we missed. But it has, it has been so good that early in our marriage, we drew a line and we said, you know what, this is how we're going to live financially. And, and we have not had financial, that financial stress and, and those arguments that, you know, like we don't know how to pay a bill, we don't know where it's coming. It's, it's been so awesome to not, to not have that. And some of that has been God has given us good health. If God were to take away our health, things could change. But um, there, there is joy in following the Lord. Um, put this up here. You know, if, if birds, I love birds, okay? If birds were, there are only like six birds in the world, People would travel thousands of miles and spend millions of dollars just to get a glimpse of one. But the truth is, we got birds all over the place, right? I'm sure you saw birds this morning and you didn't even realize it because they're so boring, right? This is, uh, this is um, a lilac-breasted roller from Africa. This, that doesn't even look real. It's a fairy wren. Looks like somebody made that. It's a real bird from Australia. And these are two birds right in our backyards. American Kestrel. There's a bunch on Post Pond Road all the time. On the telephone wires there and a kingfisher. I see these every summer. Take them for granted. Why? Because they're so common. Because they're everywhere. We do this with the Word of God. We got Bibles in the back. You got Bibles on your phone. You got... You got the Bible is everywhere. That must mean it's not valuable because there's no scarcity. We, we need to have a new appreciation for the, 
the beauty of God's word, for the wondrousness of God's word, for the power of God's word. And not take it for granted. Finally, obey God with great joy. Nehemiah 8.14, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters through the festival of the seventh month. Um, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. And so the people went out and they, they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the houses of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. And the whole company that returned from the exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. That's over 900 years previous. Until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. So here's what they did. Jews continue to do this today. During this special festival, for an entire week, they built a, sh a shack or a, sh you know, they just, a temporary shelter in their backyard and with branches and stuff like that. And then they have their, their, their meals out there, their evening meals, and they remember the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness and that they didn't have a home. And again, this is weird. If you saw your neighbor getting, pulling branches out of the woods or driving his truck home with some branches and making this little lean-to thing and like putting, you know, whatever over top of it. And you'd be like, and then they're out there eating dinner every night. Be like, what? What are you doing? You have a perfectly good home with a perfectly good kitchen. Why are you eating out here? And they're saying, oh, this is just so cool. We're remembering back in 1400 B.C., how we didn't have any homes and we wandered in the wilderness. And, and you know what? This makes us so grateful for the home that we do have. And, and the kids love it. And, you know, here's a bunch of pictures of, of Jews celebrating this today. And some of them get a little fancy there. And uh, here's the back, back uh, yards of a, a busy place in Jerusalem. A lot of homes there with all the different temporary shelters that they've built. Um, to celebrate this feast. So here's a couple things about, about this obedience with great joy. If you want to obey God and you want to have great joy in obeying God, because that's the key. The Bible is not just given for us to understand. It's given for us to live out and to do. If you just read this and understand, if you just come to church and you hear it and you're like, man, that's really cool. Never knew that about the wall. The whole Feast of Tabernacles is kind of cool. Um, if that's all you get, it's really pretty worthless. You might as well like go to Disney World or something. This is meant to change how you live. It's called obedience. And, and obedience, if it's not immediate obedience, it's disobedience. If you're thinking, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive later. I'm going to do this thing that God wants me to do. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until, you know, September. I think the fall is a better time to put it in to, to obey God in that way. I think I'm gonna. What, if you are putting off obeying God, you are living in direct rebellion and disobedience to God, and that is a terrible place to be. Their obedience was immediate. They didn't say, 
The Feast of Tabernacles is next week. Let's plan for next year. You know, I mean, this is a new concept. None of us even knew, almost all of us, we weren't aware of this at all. Like, we need to plan. and No, no planning, immediate obedience. And then the second quality of their obedience, it was radical. It was crazy. They're living in their backyard. And, and it, they, they knew, Jews knew about this, right, for over 900 years, and yet they hadn't celebrated it this completely and fully since the days of Joshua, 900 years, radical obedience. And then collectively, they did it all together. And, and that, almost everything is more fun when you do it with other people. Eating, more fun. Not, I mean, it's nice to eat alone. Sometimes, some of you moms are like, Eating alone is really nice. <laughs> so I, I, I get that. But generally, eating is, is much better with other people. Playing a sport. If you like soccer or basketball, totally, soccer especially, totally lame all by yourself. Like you just can't. It's just not fun. Tennis by yourself, just not fun. You know, now I got to go get the balls. You know? um, so many things are so much more fun together. And this is one of the reasons why I think God has created the church is to bring people of like minds together so that we can help each other obey God and just have more fun doing it. Um, prayer. I, I love praying with people much more than praying by myself. Both are important. We need to do both. Um, our day of prayer is uh, at the Welcome Center. You can sign up for it. It's July 17th, so two Sundays from now. We pray from midnight Sunday morning to midnight Sunday night in the cafe room. And so I'll be here midnight Sunday morning to unlock everything, turn the lights on. I'll be in there praying for a half hour or an hour or whatever. And you're all welcome to come. Midnight Sunday morning, sign up on the Welcome Center for the day of prayer. I'll post something online as well. Um, and some people say, hey, can I pray at home? during that time slot. Absolutely. You know, you can actually pray at home 365 days of the year. But this is a day where we come together to pray all day. And I'm telling you, it is, I, most of the time I'm in there, at some point in the half hour, someone is crying and weeping in, in, in their passion for someone they know who's hurting, for someone they know who needs Jesus Christ, for, 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 for our nation, for, for other individuals in the church. And there, there's just, it's just amazing. There's a prayer group Wednesday morning for men at the, the church offices that meets and they pray from 6 to 7 a.m. every Wednesday morning. And sometimes in that prayer group, I laugh because of what is prayed and people are just being honest and it's just, I don't know, it just strikes me as funny and it's just encouraging. Every Sunday morning, you don't have to wait to the day of prayer. Every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock from 8 to about 8.45, 8.30, there's a group in the cafe room that pray every Sunday morning. When in this morning, there's about five of them there praying. It's just better together. Um, End of the month, don't just go to church Sunday, July 31st. There's a sign-up sheet for that at the back of the auditorium here. That is a lot. Serving other people, yes, you can go and clean some ladies' gutters out. You can go cut wood for somebody. You can stay here and 
write, write letters or to, to people that need encouragement or do mailings. You could do, you could write a letter all by yourself at home to encourage somebody. Some of you do that. It's so much more fun to do it with others. So sign up for the, the, the don't go, just go to church. Don't just go to church Sunday. Okay, July 31st, we all come in and then we leave. We don't sing. We don't have a message. We just leave going out to work different different projects. Then at 11 o'clock, from 11 to 1, we're going to have lunch here so we can come back and just share with what, what God did. Like, hey, what'd you do? Oh, man, we went to this house and I helped just with yard work and realized halfway into it that it was full of poison ivy. And, <laughs> and uh, I actually went home and showered and hopefully, you know, I won't break out in a rash. But, but uh, other than that, it was great. And, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. It, it, it's so much more fun together. In fact, wrote down four different ideas of different ways we can obey God um, together, um, giving together. You could say, you know, I'm going to set aside $50 every week to help somebody in need. If you do that with four people, that's $200 a week. That's almost $1,000 in a, in a month's time. And it's so much more fun to give away $1,000 <laughs> than it is to give away $200. You know, and you do it as a group because maybe someone else in, in your group, hears of a need and you don't. And I'm not saying you need a treasurer, you give someone the money, you just, just do it together. Keep it in an envelope at home and then someone says, hey, I know somebody and they have a need. And you're like, yes, it's just more fun together. Every week I'm gonna invite someone to church and talk to somebody else and say, hey, are you, you, you do it too. You hold me accountable. You ask if I've invited someone. They don't have to come. You can't force people to come to church, but you... I'll invite someone every week, you invite someone every week. You know, and I love competitions. Saying, if, if they don't come, I'll do 10 push-ups. You know what, you do it your way, all right? However you want to do it, you know? Like, if they don't come, like, if you're a person, if you invite someone and they don't come, I'll give you a chocolate bar. You know, whatever. Just, it's more fun to obey God together. I'm going to get up early and pray. Um, kids, go to your kids and say, hey, whenever I complain or criticize... Why don't you tell me, and I'll put a quarter in a jar. And in about a week's time, we'll have about 20 bucks for pizza. <laughs> and we'll have, a, we'll have a thankfulness party. And we'll order pizza, right? And your kids will love obeying God with you in that way. Yeah, whoo. Or if you're married, your spouse might love it too. And that was a complaint. Dink. <laughs> you know, just obeying God together. Great joy great joy. God wants something for you. He doesn't want to take anything from you. I meant to show this. This is the sweet t-shirt you get. If you come to don't go to, don't just go to church, be the church Sunday. So anyway, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you oh, for your word. Lord, this crazy world, it's hard to know what's right and wrong and so many people are calling wrong right and right wrong, and it's really confusing. Thank you for the Bible that can just point true north so we know what's right. And God, I just thank you that, that obeying you isn't a drudgery. I mean, sometimes it is hard. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's you know, you... you when you confess sin, I mean, it's, it's just painful and shameful and we want to hide, but 
God, I just thank you that in the long run, it is just such an amazing joy to serve you, to love you, to follow you. Lord, I just ask that you would give that joy to everyone that's here today, to those that are listening online, that you would just give us the joy of our salvation, the joy of obeying you and following you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.